Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Finances are a super important thing for us to talk about. And actually, we try and talk about it at CCM fairly regularly. Uh, and uh, we do this because how we use our cash is a, a discipleship issue. It's about following Jesus. Uh, because money is just an incredible opportunity to be able to worship God's. Uh, to live with kingdom focus uh, and with kingdom practice as well. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take a step back and look at some of the principles of how we think about our money, Uh, because money is super useful, unsurprisingly, uh, very useful, not just for buying stuff, actually gives us wonderful opportunities. And we're going to think about money in a, in a very positive way. We're not going to be grumpy. We're not going to be anti-money. We're not going to be anti-possessions or anything like that. And we're going to be positive about the opportunities that our money gives to us. And my hope is over the next uh, four weeks or so, we will uh, provoke you a little bit to think uh, clearly and carefully about the money that you have and what you would like to achieve with your money. So we're going to look at this uh, over the next four weeks, and and our titles are going to be Less is More, Stress is Bad, Giving is Good, Tomorrow Matters. That's our next four weeks. Less is More, Stress is Bad, Giving is Good, and Tomorrow Matters. And our motivation for this is that we can do incredible good in the world with the money that we have. Uh, And sometimes even good that will outlive us. Uh, Even thinking about our Give Big uh, from December, uh, which is now over £74,000. It just keeps sneaking up. Um, The guy who does our finances, CCM, every now and again, he'll send me a WhatsApp and go, do you want a new update? And even this week, he was like, it's gone up by another 500 quid. It was just incredible, really. It gets to the point where it's like, is it awkward that it keeps going up? No, I'll take the money. It's brilliant. Um, But we're going to send some money to to the guys in Iraq and the the good that they will be able to do there in an orphanage that they're going to work into to, there's a chance that the goods that that money provides will outlast us, won't it, in, in helping some of those kids. I just think it's a, a very powerful thing, and that's how we're going to think about our money. It's very positive. I also believe that the money that you have, the money that comes to you at the moment in, in your work or the finances that have come to you in family or whatever it might be, the money that you have is exactly the amount of money God thinks that you need. Okay, which is a very big statement to make. Okay? The money that you have is what God wants you to have. Because often we fall into the trap, and I fall into this trap many times, probably even in the last week, of thinking, if I had just a little bit more, life would be simpler. Or if I got this money, if it came to me, I could do these things. But actually, sometimes when that happens, if that bit extra comes to you, life doesn't necessarily get that much simpler, can in fact get more complicated. It's an easy mindset to fall into, an easy lie to live with. And I often have conversations with people and they'll say, if I just had a little bit more, then we could do this. Or if I had uh, this bit extra, life would be that bit simpler. 
Or I might have the other conversation where they'd say at the end of them, I've just no idea where it goes. The money comes in, then it disappears. I've no idea what happens. Uh, Both those conversations happen quite regularly. And the world that we live in actually encourages those ways of thinking. So we're going to start our series with our first principle. That is, less is more. And we're going to kind of base ourselves in a verse in Ecclesiastes. Uh, And Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6 says, Better is a handful of quiet than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Better is a handful of quiet than two hands full of toil and a striving after the winds. So we live in a culture where more is better, isn't it? More is better. We live in a a society that consumes. That's what we do. Our economy works in that way. In fact, it works in such a way that we buy stuff which basically will break probably quite quickly or is disposable on some level. And so we have to replace that thing and buy it again. Uh, uh, We are a family of four of us. One of the ongoing conversations that we have is, when can I have a new phone? Okay, that's just the way it is because the phones that we buy deteriorate much more rapidly than I am comfortable with, uh, has to be said. Uh, But our economy is built on that, isn't it? And unfortunately, when we stop buying things, um, when we feel uncomfortable with our finances, which we're seeing as a nation at the moment, people stop buying stuff, uh, then actually that causes us problems as, uh, as a society when we stop purchasing, when we stop consuming. And actually, our, our advertising industry plays on the desire for more, doesn't it? Adverts are not based on what we need. If they were, they would be very short. There wouldn't be very many of them. They are based on the desire that you could have a bit more or you could do some more. They are targeted at that. They suggest fulfillment if we have more. Or perhaps even that sense that we will feel good about our lives now. You see, even uh, products will suggest some sort of mental health benefit if you buy these things, a well-being benefit. Or maybe that others will be impressed by what you have. Or perhaps even you'll show signs of your success in life. Perhaps that even people will love you if you just have a little bit more. But more is not actually a great place to start planning, thinking, praying about what you want to do with your finances, what you want to achieve, because more is an unreality. And I want to introduce you to someone. So this is Marcus Person, okay? Marcus it is a, is a Swedish gentleman, and he is, uh, he's older than me. He's in his early 40s, and he is very bright indeed. Don't laugh at that. And, uh, well, he started programming computers at a very early age, and he quickly built himself a good career in computer programming. And um, as is often the want of a computer programmer, he would spend his day at work uh, doing code, then he would go home, and to relax, he would do more code. And he started building himself uh, a computer game when he was at home. And this game, slowly but surely, other people started to play it, and then it began to take off. So eventually he went part-time on his job and part-time on his computer game, and then eventually he went full-time on his computer game, and this, this game got bigger and bigger uh, uptake. More and more people started playing it. Marcus invented a game called Minecraft, which I'm sure you've heard of. My kids went through a real Minecraft phase. They went through a phase where they watch people on YouTube playing Minecraft, which... I think I'm fairly up to date with these things, but that just made me angry. And, but lots of people played Minecraft, didn't they? Millions and millions, hundreds of millions of users. And it launched in 2009 and soon caught the eye of numbers of big companies 
and was then bought by Microsoft for $2.5 billion in 2014. Two and a half billion dollars is quite a lot of money, isn't it? And, and so Marcus, our friend here, now discovers himself to be fabulously wealthy. He's estimated to be worth about one and a half billion dollars. And uh, often what happens in these buyouts is that the, the genius behind the products will, will go with the product to the, to the new company. But Marcus didn't do that. He stepped out. He took the opportunity and left Minecraft. And so he moved himself to Beverly Hills and he bought himself a mansion. And for this, he spent $70 million. And um, let's assume he didn't have a mortgage. So the next picture here, this is just the corridor of his mansion. And that is a wall of sweeties. That's what you can get for $70 million. A whole wall of sweeties. He also had a garage uh, which could fit 16 cars in it. So that's Enough cars for a whole fortnight and with two spares, which is useful, I think you'll find. So also had a swimming pool, a gym, 23,000 square feet to play with. He outbid Beyonce to get this house. That's what he did. That's the level he was operating at. And he built himself a bit of a reputation for wild parties, hanging out with rock stars, actors, spending his money in whatever way he wanted to, really. And Marcus suddenly had more, more than you could ever imagine what to do with. But the story doesn't end there. So Marcus is an avid user of Twitter. And so uh, he, uh, he tweeted a, a few times. This was a number of years ago now. And uh, appear up behind me, these tweets. But he says, the first one, he said, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of. They all hate me now. Found a great girl, but she is afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. That was his wife that left him. Left him as a billionaire, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but you may hear that story. You may feel a little bit flippant. You may think, well, that poor, sad billionaire, how hard must his life be? But actually, there is some heartbreak involved in this as well. This man got more. He lives the capitalist dream, doesn't he? We often hear of this, of the Silicon Valley dream of someone having a unicorn company that's suddenly worth a billion and uh, they are suddenly fabulously wealthy. It's the capitalist dream But he got more, but ended up with nothing. And stories like this should be a challenge to us. If you think, my problems would be solved if I had a little bit more. And we don't think, if I was a billionaire, life would be simple. We just think, if I had a bit more. Now, we're going to be positive about our money. We're not going to pretend that money isn't evil, and we'd all be better off without any, and we'd just barter with carrots. Life would be much better. Money can be incredibly useful, and very, very powerful. Money used in the right way can do great things. So Manchester has a big homelessness issue. We'd be foolish if we said money won't solve this problem. Actually, money used in the right way would go a long way to solving these issues, right? Or perhaps we look at any number of nations in the world still experiencing extreme poverty. We would be naive and say, well, money is not their problem. Actually, perhaps if they had more money, there are lots of things they could do to relieve these issues. Also, close to home, money used in the right way can be great for family life, can be great for blessing your friends, 
If you are in relationship, they can be very good for nurturing relationships. Money can help you build your future. Money can also help you build your church. (coughs) However, we know that money can have a strange effect on people. In uh, in, uh, 1 Timothy, Paul writes, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, (coughs) into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And it's a fascinating passage, actually. And it's easy to think, oh, yeah, billionaires, they're, they're, they spend all their time just with their money and it makes them evil. Actually, on a very basic level, Paul is talking about what consumerism can do for you, just the desire to want more. And as I've, uh, as I've grown up, and I've seen many of my friends the same age as me, slowly but surely inoculate themselves to faith and trust in God by just pursuing comfort in finance and in possession. And they're not even doing anything unusual. You would look at them and think their lifestyle isn't particularly unusual, but slowly but surely they just give themselves over to a way of life, to a way of living. But money used in the right way can do incredible good, right? But chasing after it can lead us to giving up on our faith. If we aren't intentional about our finances, I think it can actually have a deadening effect on us, can actually bring stress and pain into our lives as well. So we're going we're gonna to just take a step back and think less is more. So like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, better is a handful of quiet than two hands full of toil and striving after the winds. So let's think about striving. That's what he talks about there. That's the first thing, or the, the, the place to start when we start thinking about our money and the money that we would like is, what are we striving for? What are we striving for? So more in this is the chasing after the winds. As he says, a handful of quiet better than two hands full of tall and a striving after the winds. Because the wind is impossible to catch. You can't catch the air. You cannot catch the winds. If by some freak of life, like Marcus Person or perhaps other people you know, you you do catch that wind and you end up with a lot of money, actually, you would perhaps be finding yourself thinking, I don't have enough. My challenge today is for us to consider what we are striving for. I want us to be proactive, actually, as we plan to use the resources that God has given us, whether it's our time or the talents that you have, or actually it's the money you have. I think God calls us to to plan and to think. It's also worth remembering that all of the money and the possessions that you have cannot be taken with us when we die. It's a cliche, isn't it? But it is also a truth. Now, I'm a bit of a history nerd, and you see this attitude come out in history. So the Egyptians actually thought you could take your possessions with you when you die, which is why uh, if you go to the tombs of Egypt, they would find great wealth there. In fact, the really rich people used to kill their servants because they think, oh, I want my stuff. I also want my, st- my servants with me to clean my stuff for me in the afterlife. They really thought they could take stuff with them. But the writer of Ecclesiastes says, look, all to one place, all go to one place, all from dust and all to dust return. You can't take it with you when you die. 
Actually, another person in history, Alexander the Great, he is said to have requested at his funeral that an arm be hanging out the coffin, which is definitely what I want at my funeral. Amazing. (laughs) Just a naked arm hanging out the coffin to show all his people he came into the world naked, he left the world naked. He knew you cannot take anything with you. So if you can't take anything with you, if we believe as followers of Jesus that actually in an eternal life that we will be with Jesus in his advancing kingdom after we die, if we believe that, then what are we striving for now with our money, with our possessions? Let's consider this. What are you striving for? What stories would you like to tell about your life when you draw to the end of it? Actually, it's a tricky one because it drills right into our hopes and our dreams, perhaps into our upbringing as well. And each family has different ways of approaching their money. And there's also a lot that can happen in life that is way outside of our control as well. And we have to be honest about that. You could get sick. Our company could go bust. The economy could tank. Lots of things could happen. A friend of mine, his dad worked his whole life for the same company whole life. And then he got to his mid-late 60s, was just about to retire, was within weeks of retiring. Then the company went bust. And then they discovered that not only had the company gone bust, that they'd spent the entire pension fund. So all of the money that he diligently put in over years had been stolen, completely illegal. But there was nothing he could do. His pension was entirely gone. So we have to be real. There's a huge amount in life that we can't control. But what we can control is what we strive after. Jesus says, where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. What we strive after is where our heart goes. Remember, I talk about my friends, perhaps, that slowly but surely inoculated themselves to faith, slowly but surely just went for comfort and wealth, uh, not living for Jesus. Actually, they put their money into things, and slowly but surely their heart follows. We strive after and is where our heart goes. Where we invest our money is where our heart goes. So what do you want to have invested in over your whole life? When you're close to death, when we're all sat in that old people's home in Didsbury, what will we say that we have invested our money in? So we're going to be super practical for a moment. And uh, I hope this will help you just think a little bit about what you're striving after. And I'll I'll give some uh, personal examples of this. And I kind of fluctuate whether I should do this or not, um, because sometimes people can disagree with what you say and then they tune out to everything. So hopefully you'll be mature enough just to to see uh, my examples and then you can decide for yourself. I'm going to trust that you understand what I'm getting at. And, And I have a bunch of things that I want to spend my money on. Again, when I'm in that old people's home in Didsbury, uh, what I will think, yeah, I'm happy with how I behaved. I'm happy that I did my best to honour God with the finances I were given. I did my best to worship him with that. In the future, when I reflect back, I think, yeah, that, that was wise. There were good investments, okay? So these are my investment priorities, which is the weirdest thing to say in a sermon ever, but just go with me on this. And there are six things, okay, that I want to put my cash into, okay? The first one, is I want great memories for my children, okay? Simple as that. Great memories for my children, holidays and fun, okay? That seems like a good thing to put money into to me. I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, They won't be with us in our house forever. They'll be grown-ups one day, and so I only get to do that stuff now. So that feels like a good investment uh, for me. I think it'll be good for them too. 
And secondly is, uh, I want to pay into their education. From what you lot tell me, going to university is expensive. So if that's something they want to do, I want to be able to help with that, okay? Seems important to me. Uh, Thirdly, I want to invest in my marriage. So me and Vic like weekends away or going out for dinner, that seems like a good use of money. It means we get to spend time together, we have fun together. That is a good way of spending cash. I don't want to be stingy about that. Uh, Fourthly, I would like to fund a movement of church planters across Manchester and Europe. I would. That, That seems like a good thing for me to put my money into. Also, I'd love to uh, help those who have much less than me to uh, have a little bit more. If there's any way I can help the poor with my money, I want to do that as well. So we deliberately save so that we can put into Give Big the, uh, when we give for the poor. It's important to us that we, we put into that. And sixthly, I like having fun. I don't know if anyone else of you likes having fun. I really like fun. So a few years ago, I decided I wanted to buy a record player. So I had to save up to buy a record player. Record player that I barely use now, but it is still quite good fun. Uh, I also quite like uh, Sonos hi-fi gear because it's wireless and you can have it anywhere in your house and that's good fun. Those things are quite expensive, so I save quite slowly for these things. But that's important to me. So I I like that stuff. It's important to have uh, those things. But those are my investments investment priorities, right? So when I think about how I spend my money, how I save my money, those are the things that I think I, I want to put finance into them. Now, the, the passing of time will change those as, as we grow up, as the kids leave home, as jobs change, who knows what happens. Um, but this is where I'm at at the moment. And they're in no particular order as well. So whether I have lots of money or a tiny amount of money, those are the things that I strive for. Now, we aren't perfect with our cash. If you come talk to me afterwards, I could give you a a list of any number of mistakes that don't include my record player, by the way, any number of mistakes that we have made and have needed people to help us out and have had to relearn how to do our finances and all sorts of things. And you may be wondering as I go through that list as well, that's fine, Tim, but how do you buy food and uh, pay for rent and things like that? Uh, And what we try to do is we boil our spending down to the essentials and then to saving and to giving. That's what we do. So the food, housing, travel, bills, those sorts of things, we put into our spending bracket, and then there is the saving and giving. And we try to live off the 80-10-10 principle if we can. So we live off 80% of our income, we save 10%, and we give 10% away. And if I can whittle down that 80%, Uh, then I try to do that, which uh, when you have more money coming in, it's easier to do that. So I try not just to let the 80% grow as our income grows. Actually, we try to live uh, sensibly still. And we have gone through times of having pretty decent income. So at the moment, both of us are full-time, and that means we've got more money probably than we've ever had. But it hasn't always been like that. In the past, we were both part-time, and the kids weren't in school, and you had to pay for childcare, and money felt like it went in and then left, uh, and we had nothing, very little to save or to give away. But even then, in those times, we tried to uh, budget ourselves to 80-10-10. And what I want you to grasp in this is that money is a great opportunity. The amount doesn't matter. The percentages do, I think. How we spend it matters. And in that, there is a faith journey for us in this. Okay, now what I want you to do is uh, I'm going to pause the recording. What I want you to do is get out your phones, if you haven't already. 
Right, go to your notes bit. Okay. So my, my intention with that is you don't need to, there's no homework in this, you don't need to come and tell me or tell anyone, but is to make you think about how you spend your money and your, your view of your money at the moment. Does it help you build those things, to have a long-term view? It's real easy just to think, I don't have much at the moment, one day I'll have more, so at the moment it doesn't matter. But actually what we do with the small bits that we have at the moment actually builds uh, something, uh, some really good habits in us for the future. I want us to live day to day with purpose, not spend without purpose. So better is a handful of quiets than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. And if we want to strive after good things and uh, not think of our money as this wind, this uncatchable thing, well then how can we make some room in our spending? How can I live so that I have that handful of quiets, not two hands full of toil? That's what we've been thinking about, what we strive for. So let's think about those two hands full of toil. It's actually wonderful imagery. To have two hands, hands full of toil conjures up this image of someone with so much stuff going on so much pressure, perhaps so much spending or uh, whatever's going on in life that you have no opportunity to pick anything else up. If an opportunity comes to you, there's nothing you can do because your hands are full of toil. You toil hard in e- or perhaps in order to keep all of the things that you want. But actually there's little room for anything else, maybe any more joy in life. And we do live in a world, like we talked about, which is where we spend and we are encouraged to spend. We're even called consumers. They want us to be good consumers, perhaps even where we are owned by our possessions and not the other way around. And when both our hands are full, our options are limited. We can't reach out to new, do new things. Perhaps we can't even reach out to be generous to a friend who's in need. Or perhaps we can't think about saving properly for the future. Perhaps we can't even be as generous in our giving as we would like to be, whatever it might be. And in that moment, there is a call for us perhaps to live differently, to live with that eternal purpose and plans. Um, One of the biggest ways we can live with purpose is to think about how we spend the money God has given us. In Proverbs 30, the writer of Proverbs says, and this is like a prayer to God, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord's? So don't let me become so rich I think I don't need God anyway, which is the problem of the West, incidentally. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane profane the name of my God. He wanted a contented life. He knew that money had nothing to do with his own contentment. He he didn't want two hands full of toil, whether that was the, the toil of poverty or the toil of wealth. He didn't want the stress of chasing after the winds He wanted a handful of quiets. And just finally, this idea of the handful of quiet. So over the next few weeks or so, we will talk about the different ways we can use our money. Effectively, there are three ways you can use your money. You can spend it, you can save it, you can give it. And the spending bucket, like we've talked about today, is is kind of our cost of living. It's our doing life bucket of uh, shelter, of travel, of clothes, of 
of bills, of those things. Our saving is our building for the future or perhaps saving for holidays or whatever it might be. And our giving is a generosity to church or perhaps to other people. And my suggestion for you today is to have a clear intention as to how you want to spend your cash. And all three of those, spending, saving and giving, are vital cogs in the machine. And if one of them is missed or doesn't work properly, then the whole machine doesn't work. It doesn't serve the kingdom of God as you'd want it to. And the right of Ecclesiastes, like we keep saying, he's suggesting it's better to have a simpler life, have less, but have some direction with it, than a misdirected life, but to have much more. And I've found it's always easier to make a change in my finances uh, if we've got ourselves in trouble, if I've got a reason for doing so. If it's just I need to stop spending and uh, if it's just stinginess, then it's not, it doesn't last very long. But if there is some faith to it, some plan, some intention, then actually I find that the change tends to stick. So for example, like I've said, holidays for us uh, are really important. Actually, they're great fun, uh, family time. Uh, both of us have got full-time jobs, so have been able to relax and recuperate. As many of you would know, on a holiday is really important. Uh, and so I, we organise our spending so that we can save for holidays. There are things that we don't do deliberately, so actually we can go on holiday. We, we're not big on uh, takeaways or eating out. We uh, try and do our food shopping with discipline, our clothes shopping in the same way. You're thinking, oh, that sounds really boring. And if it was just me saying, don't buy nice clothes, buy cheap stuff for no reason. But I'm, if I'm saying, like, okay, we want a decent holiday this year. This is what we're planning, so we need to save. Then actually it builds a bit more faith. It's a, a better way of living for things. Equally, like I talked about, uh, to fund that movement of church planters we keep going on about and planning into Europe and further into Manchester, that means we live in a certain way so that I have the free hands. Don't have two hands full of toil. Actually, I have a free hand so I can, yeah, I can be generous to this. I can put into this. I want to invest into that. So with your notes that you made, my challenge this week is why not just have a look at them again and just think about your money. Think, okay, well... Uh, this is what I have. This is how I spend. Can I? Is there things I can adjust in my day-to-day spending, and even to think differently about uh, my food shopping or whatever it might be, that is going to release some money? Do I have two hands full at all? Can I put some stuff down so I've got an opportunity uh, to give away, to pick up some things? I think when in future years you reflect back on that, you won't regret it. Now, many of you here are, are younger, perhaps at the beginnings of careers, and you find yourself not at the top end of earning brackets or whatever it might be, or you may be at university or you're just at points in life where uh, you're beginning to earn money, but it's not big money. In those moments, when you make those decisions not to have two hands full at all, have, to have the free hands, to actually think about how you're spending, that will do you a lot of good when you find yourself with more. You can begin investing.